and reading from Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You may be seated. Thank you, music team. Thank you for the reading of scriptures, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody's here. If you have been with us for the past uh, few Sundays, we have been going through a series called God's Original Design. Now, the, why do we choose this? It's because it is very important in the world that we live in today. There's lots of new ideas and new ideologies. And sometimes it can be very confusing for us. So we needed to go back to an anchor where we can stand firm, which is the Word of God that is never changing. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we need that. We need that to just have a ground to stand on so that we are not being toppled, we are not being tossed left and right by all the ideologies that are coming at, at us at a very fast pace, especially with technology and everything else, right? So, in the past uh, few Sundays, we have talked about uh, creation, creation as a whole, how uh, the world came into being, and then uh, next we talk about the creation of mankind. God created a man and a woman, and He created them in His image, man and woman. And then last week, Pai Yusuf came and talked to us about uh, the original design of work. Some people think that uh, because of sin, we have fallen into sin, and now work is sort of like a punishment for us, that we have to wake up every day and go to work, but that's not the idea. God has originally designed work for each one of us because He Himself is a worker, He's a creator, and then as a result that we are now His image bearer, we are too to work, that through work we can actually um, glorify Him and continuing on with what He has endowed us with. And uh, this Sunday, in, uh, we're going to continue with uh, God's design for family. 
And next week, Mike Brumel uh, will talk to us about how we fell into sin and then how God has already planned for redemption even from the very beginning. So uh, today, I will be preaching from the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, what Jonathan has just uh, read uh, to us. But before we do that, let us uh, pray. Father God, we invite your Spirit to be present amongst us. Lord, so often we read your Word and we just gloss over things. Without your Spirit, uh, we would just be reading it as a literature. But today, Lord, we ask the empowerment of your Spirit to make your Word come alive, that we may be instructed, that we may have grounding in the truth of your Word, so that whatever that is coming our way, will not toss us to and fro, just like the waves of the sea or the wind, but rather, Lord, that we will be built up strong in stature toward the likeness of Christ. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My name is Hendra, and I'm married to this beautiful woman up front here, Mimi Suhartanto. She has come up here and make announcements a few times, and so you probably know her more than you know me. A privilege, but also challenging because we only know how to raise a daughter, right? Uh, but uh, inevitably, um, there are lots of funds to with them, the young men. And as they grow, as they mature, uh, inevitably, they'll find someone that perhaps to fall in love with and then uh, get married to. So we oftentimes uh, get to also the privilege to do their um, marriage, uh, pre-marriage counseling and then um, perhaps also conduct their wedding, right? So we, Mimi and I have that privilege to just walk alongside them and uh, speak God's truth into their lives and hoping that we can build each other up uh, toward the stature of Christ. <clears throat> so that was the introduction about myself, too long, but this ties in to what we're going to talk about today, about marriage and family, God's original design of marriage. So let's start with uh, the, the first uh, that we're going to cover from verse 18. We're going to go first to first, so bear with me. The first verse here that we're going to cover is from uh, verse 18. It says that, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for that, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. If you remember in our series, almost every day when the Lord created uh, beings, called things into existence that were not there uh, into being, He always said, It is good. It is good. It is good. So this phrase here, it is not good, sort of like jolt us up and say, what is not good? God is good. Why is, why is He making something that is not good? Well, it's not that he is, not, he is making something not good, but it's just that He has not completed the goodness of His work. At the end, after He has created both Adam and Eve, He said that it is very good, right? But it's back a question, what is not good here? What is not good? So if we see here in the first, it, it explains itself, isn't it? It is not good that the man should be alone. So the not goodness or the, the, the things that God is saying here is that being alone for Adam is not good. That's not a good state for him to be in. He should not be alone. Well, is Adam really alone? 
you remember, or we will read later on in chapter 3, it talks about that God sometimes walked in the coolness of the day, and then He would look for Adam, perhaps to converse with him. So vertically, He actually has a relationship with God. He actually can talk to God like a friend. So He's not really alone, right? And another aspect is that uh, it's interesting that God has a sense of humor. So between the first that he says it's not good for a man to be alone, then, uh, and also uh, that he will create a woman, he has this excerpt here from verses uh, 19 to 20. He says that now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whether the man and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So God paraded the animals before Adam so that he can see, name them, but also perhaps look for something, someone that may resemble something that he can he can uh, uh, he, he is familiar with, that he can see that as as, as uh, his equal. But there was none. Right? But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the word, uh, so, so uh, just to, to recap here, he has a vertical relationship, all right. Above him is God, right? He's creator. He has communication with, with God. And he also has dominion over the creation below him, beneath him, to take care, of course, to, to tend them, Right? and to rule over them. So the vertical relationship is good, but something is amiss here that God said that He needs to create a helper fit for Him. What does it mean to be fit? So one of them is this. Remember in Genesis 1, verse 28, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How would Adam complete this task alone? For sure, he would not be able to give birth to anyone to fill the earth, to multiply, right? It's, it's just, he's, he's incapable. He's helpless. He's hopeless in that sense. God needs to provide yet another creature that is like him, but not exactly like exactly him, to be able to complement him and fulfill God's uh, call to a mandate to a fruitful, fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth. So we see at least there's one um, uh, fit that, that God is thinking about that. But as, you, as we go along, we'll see there's more things. Now, another word to notice besides fit is helper. A helper fit for him. When we think about the word helper, what comes to mind? We live in uh, Southeast Asia, especially. Uh, if you live in the West, maybe, you know, you don't know what we're talking about, but we all now live in Indonesia, so most of us have helper at home, right? So what does the helper do at home? Maybe clean, uh, iron our clothes, right? Um, sometimes we ask them to take care of our kids or whatever, but helper is what we call pembantu at home, right? So is that what God has in mind when He said that He's make a helper fit for Him? Well, let's look at the root word helper. In the, in the Hebrew Bible, the word is ezer. Yeah? Uh, so, 
I'll just read this uh, excerpt. It says, God created the woman as an ezer to the man. The word ezer occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. In two cases, it refers to the first woman, that is Eve, in Genesis 2, which we just read. In two cases, it refers to the first, uh, sorry, in uh, where was it? three times, it refers to powerful nations Israel called on for help when they were besieged or when they were helpless. So nations that come and help them. Now, the remaining 16 times, 16 cases, the word refers to God as our help. He is the one who comes alongside us in our helplessness. So it's the same word. So God is my help. He's not my pembantu. But in Bahasa Indonesia, in the Bible, uh, Indonesian Bible, it says that Tuhan adalah penolongku. So instead of pembantu, it's actually penolong, right? So we have to make sure that we have this in our minds correctly. So the wife or the, the woman that God created is not just like our pembantu at home. That's for sure. He has in mind much greater things. It is someone that come, can, can come alongside to help us. Or Sometimes, you know, God is much stronger than the man. God is much stronger than the nation. But yet it used the same word describing God as the woman that, will, that God has given as a gift to Adam to complement him. Now, so it's not servant or subordinate or assistant, but it's almost like a savior, a rescuer, a protector. That's, that's how um, the uh, dictionary defines it. Not pembantu, but penolong. Okay, let's go on to the next verse. Verse 21, it says that, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall unto the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. It's very interesting that God could have created Eve the same way He created Adam, isn't it? How did get Adam was how, how did, was Adam created? It was from the dirt of the of the ground. God formed him and then breathed His breath of life into him. Now, why didn't God just create the female version of Adam in that same way? It begs the question, right? Uh, also, why, uh, okay, let's, let's move on. Another one is that um, he, he put Adam to sleep. And if you notice, it's not just regular sleep. It says it's a deep sleep. I, I like to have deep sleep. I'm a light sleeper, you know, so I, I easily wake up especially if I drink too much water uh, before bed uh, at my age. But um, he fell asleep. He's in deep sleep, meaning that, you know, even if there is a robber in his house, there's no, no robber then. He was just alone, right? <laughs> he will not awake, be awake, be awakened. Uh, he's, deep, he's in deep sleep. And, and God wants us to underline that, deep sleep, meaning that while God was creating Eve, Adam has no part of it. It was purely God's doing, right? Um, and, 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 um, and, and we need to, to also uh, say, okay, uh, so why is it ribs? Why isn't it that God just chose something else? Why not uh, the skull, you know, or a, a toe or something to, to create Eve? Why is it that he has to take the rib? Have you ever thought about that? 
Now, I'm an engineer, I like science, so um, I, I like to explore questions like this. Maybe it's a bit silly, but uh, think about it. I'm sure that God has a reason why He would put something like this in Scripture, preserved to us, so today we can actually recognize what, what He's talking about. Now, um, someone who lived in the 1600s, 1700s, uh, wrote this, Matthew Henry, in his commentary. He says that, that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that beautiful? All the women are smiling. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a beautiful picture of how God created a woman that is fit for Adam. Also, he took part of Adam to create Eve so that Adam can say, this at last is bone of my bones, not the animals, but this is the bone of my bones that God has taken out of me. I guess he realized it after all, afterwards, maybe God told him, but he was in deep sleep. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out, out of man. The word man in Hebrews is ish, I-S-H, and the word woman is isha, I-S-H-A-H. Basically, it just means that someone that has been taken out of Ish, right? Uh, ish, Isha. Um, let's move on. Verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So when God created Eve, he didn't just create created Eve in secret, well, at least out of Adam's sight out of Adam's awareness, but he also didn't just go and hide Eve somewhere, so it's like a treasure hunt for Adam to go find his wife. He didn't do that, but he actually brought the woman he has created and brought it and gave it in the hand of marriage to Adam. So the next time when you are in a wedding and you see the father of the bride coming out with the bride, walking slowly toward the front where the groom is standing, you can tell your neighbor, maybe someone you don't know, because sometimes we just meet people in weddings that we have never met before. He said, you know that that's in the Bible? The traditions that we have preserved many, for many years, actually it's exactly what God did. He brought the woman to the man and gave the hand of the woman in marriage. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Why did God do that? Because he saw that the gift that he is going to present to Adam is very precious, right? Um, it is not a treasure hunt game. It's not just a game. It is a serious matter. This will be the solution to Adam's aloneness. Another observation is this from verse 18, that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not that Adam went to God and said, God, why did you create me alone in this world? There's no one like me that I can be of equal to and complain day and night. And then finally, God decided to give a companion to him. No, it wasn't Adam that, that declares that he was alone. He probably wasn't even noticed or he probably even didn't even know that he was alone. 
but God knows his needs even before he realizes it. Do you know that? In your daily encounter with God, do you think that God doesn't know what you need? God knows everything. He's the all-knowing God. Even sometimes we don't even know that we need that. He already knows that we need it, and He will give it to us because He's a good God and He's a loving God, right? So here we see that God is the one that recognizes the aloneness of Adam is not good because he cannot carry out the mandate and he cannot be completed. He cannot carry out a lot of his tasks that he has been mandated to do without the fit helper. So even though today we're talking about marriage, about family, but I don't want to leave the singles amongst us uh, alone, right? So what is that application here? Marriage is a gift from God, but so is singleness. If you are not married today, God has given you a gift of singleness. It's probably not forever. Uh, some are forever, but uh, for some of you, until He gives you marriage, then His gift for you is for, to be a single today. And it's a good gift. God knows what is best for us. He knows what we need before even we know it ourselves. We don't need to go and beg God that I need a spouse right now. Right now. I'm alone. I'm lonely. You know, God knows you need it. And He's a loving God. He's an all-knowing God. He knows what is best for you. Instead, Jesus said, um, ask and it shall be given. Ask according, accord, in accordance to my, to my uh, name. Ask in my name. Ask according to, accordance to my will. What is God's best for you? That's the one that you should ask. But even if you don't know it, God already knows, and He will give it to you. He will give you what is best. Yeah. Now, couldn't God just create a whole village all at once? He could, right? He could just speak things into existence, right? Why didn't He just create a lot of people all at the same time? After all, then there won't be any problem with loneliness or aloneness. But He didn't do that. Or perhaps maybe he can just create a few men first because the ground is still, you know, the nature is tough and all that. You need some strong men to work the land, to prepare the house so that when you get married, you already have a house to live in, right? He could have done that. He didn't. Or create, just for equality's sake, we put three women here. So why didn't he just create women first? Or why didn't he create man and woman, all at the same time. Why did he have to go through all this story, taking ribs and all that, to create? Or he can create one woman, uh, one man with three women. You're laughing at that? <laughs> well, I think because God is not pro- Polygamy, right? He's not pro-polygamy. Even though we saw many cases of polygamy in even the Old Testament, but that was not God's original design. It was perhaps the fallen nature of human being, but um, you know, God did not come to restore everything all at once. There are things that God restored, and even today we have that task of restoring, uh, praying that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is already in heaven. So what is on earth now, today, is not like how it should be. Um, so God is against, perhaps, or not pro, at least, polygamy. Or a woman with a few men. 
So he's not also pro-polyandry, poly, right? He's also not pro-polyandry. Sorry if your name is Steve, but this is closest to Eve. Um, it's also not Adam and Steve, okay? So that's not in God's design, yeah? Uh, he created one man, and then out of that man, he took his side to create someone that is equal to him, to be, to be embraced, that together that they can accomplish what God has for them. Uh, you know, it, uh, we only have eight verses here to cover to talk about marriage, uh, but yet we have the whole council of scriptures. So this is just a, a, a teaser, an appetizer for you, because later on you're going to see a, an advertisement about re-engage, where we're going to see more of where the scripture talks about what marriage should be. So stay tuned and make sure that you sign up to learn more about how we can, we can uh, do well in God's design as a married couple. Another scene that is very familiar to us, at least living in Asia. I don't know, uh, in the Western world, I haven't attended that many weddings, uh, whether this is also practiced, but you would see that at the end, toward the end of the wedding ceremony, uh, the new couple would come, usually the, the groom's uh, parents and the bride's parents would sit on either side of the aisle, and then they would come to their parents, and then they would kneel down oftentimes and say thank you to their parents, right? So the first uh, here, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Leaving father and mother. Now, it doesn't mean that we desert them, that we, um, we don't care about them anymore. No. God, Bible is very clear. We are to honor, to respect, even to take care of our, our aging parents. Um, here, it just means that now, as they become a new unit, they are to leave the protection, provision of their family and start their own, right? And um, a few weeks before we got married, uh, our wedding day, uh, Mimi used to live a pretty lavish lifestyle. You, you don't know uh, this story, uh, this part of her, but she used to drive a BMW uh, 5 Series when she was in school. And then I came to date her, and I was driving a beaten-up Toyota Corolla. Uh, but anyway, so that's a story for a different time. Come to re-engage. We'll share our testimony there. But uh, so what happened was that just a few uh, weeks before we got married, she has this magic credit card from her dad that she can use, buy anything, and she doesn't have to know what the bill is because the office of her dad will take care of it. <clears throat> Don't, won't you like that kind of credit cards? <laughs> Kids with dads here, you can ask for your dad, from your dad, one of those, until you get married, right? So just a few weeks before we got married, we went, uh, I said, honey, we're about to get married, and we're going to be a new unit. Yes, our, our parents' provision and, and protection, now that we are new, a new unit, we need to be living within our means and all that. And uh, I think it's time for us to return this credit card to your parents. And uh, she was so in love, and naively, she said, okay, let's do it. So she gave it back, the credit card, to the dad, right? Um, I don't know if she ever regretted that, but I think I'm sure at certain times that she thought, ah, if I had that credit card, right? <clears throat> but anyway, uh, um, where was I? So, yeah, uh, we, we are now a new unit. So God wants us to live as a new family, 
not deserting our parents, but really uh, live in the provisions of God, uh, learning about how we can form this new family that He has, he has given us. So, uh, um, not deserting parents, but appreciating what they have done. And the man and his wife were both, uh, sorry, then the two shall become one flesh, one flesh. Uh, yes, it's about sexual union, but it's more than that. They become one in many aspects, right? Uh, they are no longer two, but one. We, we can uh, see a little bit clearer when the Lord Jesus himself repeated this. He says, uh, when asked about divorce, he says in Matthew 19, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, so he was refer referring to the Genesis account that we just read, made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So it is not God's idea. Now, let me pause for a while. Uh, pa Agus and Pa Yusuf and I met for lunch a few days ago because we wanted to discuss a little bit of the revision of GICF statements on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We have this statement written, and we saw the last edit, uh, ed, uh, time that we revised it was 2003. So 20 years later, I think it's good for us to just go over it again and see if, it is, if there is anything that we need to revise. Uh, there were a few points, and one of them was this. It was written that marriage is a contract or a covenant. Now, if you come from a Western world, when you sign up for a, maybe a mortgage, it will say a covenant. I think it depends on which country you come from. Uh, so covenant and contract in some countries, in some translations, is about the same. But when we talk about the Bible, when it says covenant, it is not just a contract. A contract is like this. Uh, so this is the contract. If you do this, the other party will say, I'll do this. If you don't do this, then I'm off. I don't do this right? That's contract. But a covenant is that it's a covenant for life. When God made a covenant with Abraham, uh, he said that I'll bless you. Now, when God is, God is going to be faithful always, but we as human beings might be faithless one day. The scripture says that even when you are faithless, God remains faithful because it's a covenant that, that it will never change. Right? So here, marriage is a covenant. It's not just a contract that you sign, and tomorrow when, when you don't feel happy about it, you tear it up, you get divorced. No. God has planned for us to be married for life. Right? Uh, and, and let what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's very important for us to know uh, in terms of God's original design of marriage. Now, of course, you, you need to read subsequent to that, but go to re-engage again and then learn a little bit more. We don't have all the time to explain the whole Bible today. Now, an author uh, and a podcast um, speaker said this about family. So, so it is important for us to know, even though the verses did not talk about family, which include children, but marriage is a, red, uh, is a, is a block, is a, a firm, is a foundation for family to function well. Yeah. It says, the family was supposed to be our first community, a gathering of people who accepted and loved us 
and then taught us to accept and love others well. This was God's original plan, both to bless people within our families and then to bless through the families the rest of the world. That's God's original design for our families. It's not just for a place where, you know, we are, we, we are raised from changing the diapers all the way until they finish college and all that. No, it is really a place where um, we are to display love one to another. This morning, as I was just uh, brushing up and then preparing for this sermon, a thought came to mind again. Um, God could have created children when they were born immediately with adult knowledge, with ability to reason, and so on and so forth. But why is it that when babies come into this world, God actually made them a blank slate? Ever thought about that? I think because He has endowed us with His image, right? He is the Creator God, and He wants us to start writing on that blank slate, the values, the teaching, just like in Deuteronomy 6 and 6.6, 6, that we are to embody the law of God, the knowledge of God, and then teach that to our children. Some new ideology says that we just leave the children alone. Don't, don't teach them anything, especially religious stuff. Let them discover themselves. Where? Well, they were born in such a state that they needed input so that they would become uh, children that God intended them to be, to fill the earth, to be a blessings to others. So our family is a discipleship center in that sense. So we are to teach them everything that the Lord has, teach, has taught us, not just teach them the knowledge, but teach them to obey, especially through modeling from how the husband and the wife loves one another and loves them. She so went on to say, whenever life felt hard or scary or frustrating, we have people to come home to, someone to lean on, shoulders on which to bury our tear-stained faces, a friend. Our family would be there for us, and we would be there for them. This would not be a come-and-go arrangement, but rather a covenant commitment, not a come-and-go arrangement, which... You know, if you really survey our families today, a lot of times it is like a come-and-go uh, um, arrangement, isn't it? Uh, kids go to school in the morning, and then they come home, you know, that kind of thing. Or uh, the father goes out to work, and so it's almost like a transit center. It's like a terminal. <laughs> but it shouldn't be that way. It's a covenant relationship where we speak truth into each other's life. We love one another, but also we forgive one another we, when we, we hurt one another or we wrong one another. It is a center for us to train our children to know what it means to love one another. Um, how much time do we have? I have a story to tell. Okay. 20 minutes? Okay. Uh, yesterday, we went to the 50th wedding anniversary of our friend uh, Dennis and Mirari. Uh, it is a, a remarkable achievement, I would say. I was uh, thinking about this between Mimi and I. Uh, I will be 80 that they have to live for the rest of their life with. Who wants that? So oftentimes people say, ah, oh, it's time for trade-in. It's time to change it. Uh, or if they can't do it, they just dream about being in a beautiful garden maybe with someone else. That's not God's intention. So in our, uh, sometimes we do counseling for marriage counseling. People have issues. Um, 
So we talk about this. We said, well, let's roll up our sleeves. Because when you are alone and you see the, the ruin that is there, it's sometimes very, very discouraging that you won't have enough courage to actually rebuild your garden, right? So you need people, you need the community to come alongside to help you. And hopefully we can do that in re-engage for, for some of you, uh, but uh, also in counseling sessions. We said, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and let's clean the garden. Let's replant. Let's replenish it. Let's make it flush again, right? And um, recently we did a wedding in Bali for our friend, John and Pipit. I did not ask their permission to share this, but I think it is okay because <laughs> there were many of you who were there as well. Uh, so they have this wedding vow that, whoa, everybody, right? So this is an excerpt, yeah? Inspired by our mentors in Singapore, so not us, not Mimi and I, but they have mentors in Singapore, I declare that every Saturday is Pipit's Day. Ooh. We will go dating, spend time together to strengthen our relationship and our bond as one unit. Which bride would not cheer up, you know, uh, when, when husbands uh, decide that that's what they're going to do? Right? So, Joe, you don't play golf on Saturdays, right? Now, um, so that means there's no golf on Saturdays. You have to find other days if you play golf, unless your spouse, unless people play golf. John probably would not play golf on Saturdays, right? Um, but this is a, a tall order, isn't it? Something that is good. I, I don't say it's bad, but uh, it is achievable. I think it is achievable with effort. Now, when, we, when I made my vow to you on our wedding day, I didn't say this, right? <laughs> if I did, maybe I've forgotten it, so I'm very sorry. Now, um, when, when we got married, we didn't, we didn't know a lot of this, right? So we kind of just try it and see what other people did it. We saw how our parents uh, uh, work out their marriages and all that. But, um, you know, we, we didn't spend enough time. So uh, between 2004 and 2010, um, I was an elder then. We have been married for 14 years by then. There were many people who have marriage issues that uh, come to us to ask for help because uh, they said, oh, you're an elder, so you should be able to help us. We, were, we felt so ill-equipped. We didn't know what to do except to say, we'll pray for you, right? That's a good start because prayer is very important. But I think scriptures is full of admonition and encouragement to help us to have a stronger marriage. But we were not equipped to do that. So our mentor uh, said, hey, you should come. I have a friend here in Colorado Springs, and he conducts uh, training seminars for uh, marriage, uh, marriage counseling. Uh, you guys should come and be equipped. So as part of the program, we have to prepare, and we have to watch DVD. We don't have online uh, classes at a time, so we watch DVD and have to do uh, work and all that as a prerequisite before we go. And then we realized that there were many areas that were covered in those training materials, that we ourselves are struggling with, one of which was called emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy. Uh, so Mimi said, this is what we lack in our marriage, emotional connection. I said, what is that? <laughs> I'm an engineer, okay? So uh, if you can describe it, 
I probably can design it or I can even make it for you, but you have to define it. What is it? I don't know what is emotional connection. So she said, I also don't know how to explain. I just know that we don't have it. <laughs> okay. So we went, we went to Colorado Springs uh, and hoping that we can actually talk to a counselor. Uh, John Draguer was there. He was the head uh, counselor who headed the counseling center, who gave the training. So we were able to spend some time with him. And long story short, he helped me to understand what emotional intimacy was. And then we went through that training. A year later, 2011, we went back for a whole one month of uh, internship with him, observing many counseling sessions, as well as subsequent to that, we have some counseling. Now, one of the things that he mentioned to us was that you need to invest in your time. So out of that counseling, he, he actually met us uh, five days in a row, three hours a day. We thought that we only needed one or two hours, right? Our issue were not that big. But uh, he wanted to meet us five days in a row. So we came one week early to go through that marriage counseling. What we thought was going to be a tune-up, a fine tune-up, turned out to be an overhaul of an engine. <laughs> so uh, we discovered that. And then so on the way home, he prescribed us, just like going to see a doctor, you know, he make a prescription. But it wasn't a medicine that we have to take or anything. But he said that, Mimi, Hendra, you need to sit for 30 minutes, just the two of you in the morning before you go to work, and then when you come home at night. So 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night, every day. How many hours is that? Yeah, Seven, seven hours? But it's actually, it's less than what John promised to people, 24 hours on Saturday. So it's acceptable, right? So we did spend time together. But when we meet and talk, we are not to just talk head to head. I don't know what uh, what it was until he explained it. Head to head is like this. Uh, have you registered for that upcoming um, retreat? Or uh, what, is, what is Gabby doing this weekend? Or, you know, things like tasks and chores and things like that uh, that we would talk about. That's head to head talk. He said, you need to talk heart to heart. He said, what is heart to heart talk? So he gave an example. So heart to heart talk would be, see this list of questions? One of them would say, Ask a question like, who loved you the most growing up? Who loved you the most growing up? So those of you who go out for a date, do you ask those kind of questions to your spouse? I find it a bit weird at the time, right? But he said, you ask those questions. And he actually, during the counseling session, he asked the same questions for the husband to ask to the wife. They were, they were actually fighting and all that, or a wife asked to the husband. So there was this one session where actually... Um, that question was asked. And then the husband answered, well, that would be grandma. So he explained the story. When he was a little young boy, he would come home from school to an empty house because his father and his mother both work. Uh, they were busy. So he would be alone at home. But then there's grandma who lives next door. And grandma would say, come here, Bobby. Grandma just baked you chocolate chip cookies. I know that's your favorite. And come to my house. And then she would pour a fresh uh, cold milk for him. And then, here, Bobby, come and sit on Grandma's lap. And he would, uh, she would give him the cookies and the milk. As Bobby sat, Grandma would pat his head. Just then, as he shared that story, he started to cry. 
Why? Because he felt so loved. A lonely boy coming home from school. There is God provided a grandma because the family was busy to actually be there for him. And uh, so that's, that's a window to the man's heart. So anytime when that husband is sad or feels depressed, even if chocolate uh, cookies, chocolate chip cookies is no longer his favorite or not his favorite, but if your husband's favorite is something else, bake something for him, make something for him, come and sit next to them. And Bobby's wife, if, he just, if she just touched his head just a little bit, tears would just start flowing out of his eyes. Why? Because he felt love. He felt what was missing. And that's, that's the window to his heart. That's heart-to-heart -heart talk. So, uh, but we need to practice that because that's not a natural thing that we do these days. We're all so busy. We'd rather do the head-to-head -head talk, right? Because there's so many chores that need to be accomplished. But to build your relationship, you need to talk heart-to-heart -heart with your spouse. So what is it? Why is marriage so important? Because marriage is the bedrock foundation for a healthy relationship, for a healthy family to grow in. Why is family so important? Because God has chosen families to be a blessing. So he wants us to have this marriage relationship, like described in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He laid down his life for her. Likewise, wives, submit to your husband in everything as submitting to God. That is the portrayal of relationship between Christ and the church, that in our marriage, we can help define that to the world to help the world find God. So that's why marriage, family is very important, so that the world would know him and that we would bring glory, we would bring God's glory to the rest of the creation. The world is like in a whirlwind right now with many ideologies, but I think God has preserved his words for us to help us understand his original design so that we can live for his glory, for his purpose. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word, without which we would be like blind people groping around, looking for our way. But you have given us your word to teach us your design. Help us to be students of your word, not just for knowledge's sake, but really to guide us to have a transformed heart, transformed mind, that we can live out your original design in an ever-changing world. Enable us to do just that this week, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.